Hello, and welcome to the Pragmatic Product Chat series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and other market and data-driven professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I am Rebecca Calajaris, Vice President of Marketing and Product Strategy at Pragmatic Institute, and your host for this episode. And today, we are going to talk about one of our most maybe underserved, underthought about activities on the framework. And we are extremely lucky to have with us today, Rich Nutinsky, who is a longtime pragmatic instructor, mentor, friend. Uh, and if you ever have the opportunity to pick anyone's brain about anything in products, Rich is the guy to go to. So welcome, Rich. Well, it's great to be here, Rebecca. Thanks for asking me. And I Love to be here. Love to talk about this stuff. So here we go. Awesome. All right. For those people not listening who maybe uh, haven't had the opportunity to have you in the classroom, Rich, uh, give everybody just a little bit about Rich and why you're so passionate about product and how you got here. Sure. Happy to do that. Um, I started out my career in the world, in the world of distribution and supply chain and worked um, outside of technology. And I had an opportunity a long, long time ago to jump into technology and uh, went in the software world. And I was in the software world for a little over 20 years. I worked for really big software companies, enterprise kinds of software companies, little tiny software companies uh, in the supply chain space and the enterprise space. And I did all kinds of things, uh, pre-sales consulting, demo dolly, that kind of stuff. And uh, I had the opportunity to jump into product. And when I jumped into product, um, I really didn't know what I was doing. I was lost. I was a mediocre product manager who tried to get better and better and better and moved from company to company. And at one point became part of management, running product teams and had this whole kind of history of errors and figuring it out and trying to do what I would do. And when I had to manage other people, and so we all were struggling with the same things, I looked around for a way to make my team better. And I think that's the job of a, any leader in a company is have the people work for you come out better than they were Absolutely. before. You so I looked around and I found this company called Pragmatic. And I said, hmm, looks like they train people in this stuff. So maybe there isn't, just figure it out. So I decided before I sent my team, I would go see what it was about. And I sat in a pragmatic class a long time ago. It was a completely different kind of offering. I went to a two-day offering. And I left those two days. I, I took the bait, man. I just bit hard and I got hooked. And they started dragging me along. And I sent my team at that company. We came back everything became different. And when things started working, I went to my next company. I, I culminated my career in technology as a founder of a startup with some partners where I applied the same kind of thinking. And every time I did it, I did it because it worked. And I developed a relationship with some of the folks at Pragmatic over the years. And after I sold my startup, I was doing a little consulting and I didn't know what I wanted to do next. And through a whole series of accidents and discussions, I was offered the opportunity to become instructor number five hmm. company at that time, grow very slowly at the time. 
And I came in and joined the team to become an instructor and teach other people what I became so passionate about. And when I started to see the impact Pragmatic had on students, on companies, on careers, on outcomes, I became even more of an evangelist. And I started to get involved in developing content and building out new courses and other areas that, and, and keeping things fresh and new. And so here I am 16 years later. Um, I don't know, you guys kept the count. I don't know, 50,000 students later around the world um, developing friends and relationships and seeing people advance. People I taught, it happens to me literally monthly. People will say, you were my instructor 12 years ago. I did a class in uh, London uh, a couple of months ago and someone walked in the class and said, oh, my God, you were my instructor for my first product management class eons ago. And, I, and you're still doing it. And here I am now, VP, um, running product. And I, I owe half of my career to Pragmatic. So here I came. Here I stayed. Um, I'm probably getting ready to retire. And uh, I don't know. I'll do something. I don't know what I'll do, but um, it's been great. It's been great. And I, you know, I live it. I live it. I breathe it. I write about it. I talk about it. I've had the opportunity to keynotes and, and write articles and, you know, you guys keep us busy. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot to be said. There's a lot to be learned. And I love doing that for people. Nice. Oh, yeah. And it's that passion that is so very clear there that also I think is so very clear in the classroom, right? It's what you bring to the discussion and just how much you know these things can make a difference. That's huge. Um, and that's why it's always, always fun to talk to you, Rich. And today you and I are going to talk about a distribution strategy, right? It's, you know, we have 37 yeah. key activities on the framework for people to build a market products that uh, others want to actually buy. <coughs> when we don't talk about a ton on the, on the marketing side is distribution strategy. And I'm not sure how often people here think about it, but I, I think there's some, some powerful plays. So let's start with what do we mean by distribution strategy, Rich? So I can answer your question directly and, and then I'll add a little color. So distribution strategy is understand, well, it's understanding how do, does your market want to buy your product, want to receive your product, want to use your product? There's more than one way to answer those questions. Um, you know, a, a very simple example. I often say, if you don't think distribution strategy is important, ask somebody who used to work at Blockbuster. Because if we think about, there was one way hmm. to attain videos that you wanted to watch. There was one way to buy, one way to receive, one way to use. It was physically go someplace. It was hopefully you'll find what you wanted. Usually you didn't, right? Everybody wanted the most popular film that just was released to video and it was sold out. There were five copies, you know, there were 10 copies in your blockbuster and it was gone. So now get your wingman and walk the wall, right? Look for what would substitute. Watch it within the next 48 hours because it had to be back by Sunday night or you're getting Rewound. a late, right? <laughs> Don't lose it, or you're going to buy the video. Um, pay for it how long you've had it, right? And the longer you kept it, the more it costs you. So there was one way to do that, and that model was replicated. 
little corner stores, video stores all over the world. So here comes Netflix. Netflix says, whoa, 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 there's a different way to do this. Pay me a monthly fee. Get as many films as you want. Make a list. You want one at a time? A little higher price for three at a time? Fine. Tell you what we'll do. We'll start sending you what you got. Keep them as long as you want. No more money. Send them back to me. When I get it back, I'll send you the next one on your list. I'll just keep them coming. As a matter of fact, to deal with some of those issues, Netflix actually got very fancy with their distribution strategy. And it, you know, we always talk about our framework, our 37 activities as being an ecosystem. They feed each other, right? It's a, it's a, they're synergies. It's the cumulative output. And so the distribution strategy now stand a buy, build, and partner opportunity. I don't know if anybody remembers, but <clears throat> Netflix partnered with the United States Postal Service. What they found through their information is that the 80% of the rental requests were for the top five popular films. Hmm. That's what everybody wanted. So rather than having these five films, there was probably somebody in your zip code who was watching the film you want to see next. Why should I take it back to a Netflix warehouse, repackage it, reship it? They partnered with the post office. They would take return envelopes with Netflix discs. They would open it. They would go into a system. They'd say, put it in another package and deliver it to somebody else in the same zip code. Really? Which, yeah, absolutely. Huh. Game changer. Cut, yeah, it cut cut, reset, cut, handling costs, packaging, cycle times, and they Inventory just- Inventory numbers required, right? I don't I mean, yeah. It wow. just kept moving it. That's a distribution strategy, mm. a way to buy it, receive it. Now, my color commentary, anything that has the word strategy, I'm passionate about. <laughs> One point of my career, I had a job with the word strategy in the title and VP of corporate strategy, product strategy. When you have strategy in your job title, funny thing, people expect you to know something about strategy. So I, I was given the opportunity to sit with some really smart people, learn about strategic thinking or strategic decision-making. And one of the things I found is any kind of strategy, very simply put, how do you plan on delivering on an objective. It starts with objective. If it's a corporate strategy, what's the corporate goal? How are we gonna get that goal? If it's the product strategy, what's our goal? How are we gonna attain that goal? And strategy can be like an onion. You just keep peeling back the layers. <clears throat> this is a lower level. This is a piece, a plank, if you will, mm -hmm. of product strategy. So it's not enough to say what problems do we want to solve, but how do we want to solve them? How do people want to buy this? How do they want to receive this? How do they want to use this? And if we don't understand those preferences and that those preferences will be different for different groups of people, products can fail, fail because of distribution strategy. Mm -hmm. Can I just give you an obvious example? Please. You and I love going to ATMs, right? <laughs> We're dependent on ATMs, correct? What yeah. does ATM stand for, Rebecca? 
automated teller machine. That's right. When automated teller machines first were developed, the whole value proposition was people won't have to wait in lines at banks as long. People were frustrated with queuing up to cash their paycheck. So rather than queuing up and having to have more tellers and pay those salaries, here's an automated machine that will act as your teller. Good idea. Banks started to do that. Where did they put them? At the bank. So I still had to go to the bank. They put them <laughs> in the lobby of the bank. So people went to the bank. They saw the queue for the teller. Now there was a queue for the machine. It did basic things. So people said, well, I may as well just go over and see the teller if I'm waiting in line. Okay. The adoption rate of ATMs, very small. Utilization rate, very small. Was used a little bit, night deposit, okay, some other things. Very minimal. It wasn't until they figured out people didn't want to tell her at the bank. They wanted to tell her when they needed money. That's when they wanted to tell. They wanted it at the shopping mall. They wanted it at the gas station. They wanted it when they needed to access money. So now we have to develop networks. We have to make them cross-functional. It's not proprietary. It's not located in the bank lobby. It's located ubiquitously around town. Now, all of a sudden, it became a cash machine. And now utilization soared to the point. I don't even have to go to the bank. When's the last time I had to go to a bank? I don't even know where what the nearest I, branch is. <laughs> what do I have to do it for? That is an example of a distribution strategy of understanding how people wanted to use it. They would adopt an ATM. They have a problem using a machine instead of a human. That's fine. How did they want to use it? How did they want to receive it? Where and when and how? That's what, what distribution strategy is. And it's important that we answer those questions. So one of the things I think um, we have a lot of software customers, right? And I think a lot of people think of distribution as some of the examples we gave. There is hard money, hard cash. There is you know, physical videos in the old days, Netflix. Um, how do we translate that? when we're thinking about intangible products? How does, how do, what kind of questions do we ask ourselves sure. and think about it from that way? So the thing about distribution strategy is, and maybe one of the reasons it's somewhat underserved in thinking and discussions, is that distribution strategy tends to find uh, its level of market acceptance and it kind of floats there until something disruptive happens. Usually, well, usually, often driven by shifts in technology and enablement, which give us a different way of, a, of approaching that. So some might remember, if you're as old as I am, uh, back around the turn of the millennium, maybe 20 years ago, there was this big thing called disintermediation. And in the business world, disintermediation simply meant we could remove nodes of the supply chain because technology enabled us to. I didn't need many of the inner, I could go directly. I could talk about my product via the web directly to my consumer. I didn't need advertising agencies. I didn't need 
commercials. I could put websites up. I could attract people there. I could answer their questions. I could let them buy directly from me if I wanted to have that kind of volume of business and I could handle it. So there were these intermediary stages. We, the web, e-commerce, we had exchanges. Exchanges were the period of these marketplaces where I had people who could provide things and people who could consume things. And let's put them into this exchange where the buyers could find the sellers and the sellers could find the buyers and all of this commerce could happen. Now, one of the interesting things about that is the realization that information was an item. Mm -hmm. And there were people who were looking to consume information and there were people who were looking to provide information. And this kind of exchange model of a marketplace for information started to grow started to be interesting, started to change the way we did business. We didn't need one-to-one. We could have kind of this many-to-many model. And so technology enables that. We have gotten to a point today in technology where we can process payments, where we can source goods, where we can receive them, where we can track them, where we can buy when, where we want, how we want where we can source things well beyond our local geography, all because of technology enablement. Now, all of the software required to do that. You talk about distribution strategy. If you were a software company, just, I don't know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, you had a manufacturing group. Mm -hmm. It was a physical product, disc, tape, whatever the medium was. When's the last time anybody bought software physically? Now, if you were a company that wanted to move from physical distribution to virtual distribution, electronic distribution, download from the web, Mm -hmm. a lot of benefits to doing that. Different way to buy, different way to receive, different way to use. It was a shift in distribution strategy for software as an industry. And it now has become standard. That's how we do it now. It's up in the cloud. You tell me you want it. We process your payment. You download it. Security had to be addressed. Renewals had to be addressed. Now the shift to SaaS model, new distribution strategy. Hmm. It's a software today. You may not even know you're running it, right? It's part of an offering that you purchased and the software service is being called to process your payment, to source your goods, to find the vendors, to manage your expiration date, to work with renewals, any to, to, to automate your marketing of the product and reaching your audience and identifying your audience. Now add to that the data we have today. The data we have in today's world gives us an unparalleled ability to monitor how people buy our product, receive our product, and use our product. We know what they use and what they don't use. We know when they use it, where they use it, how often they use it, all of those things. So today we have the ability to use distribution strategy as a differentiator. Can I say Amazon? Yeah. Amazon Key, right? 
So Amazon offers, as others do, um, UPS offers this, FedEx offers this, but Amazon offers key. Give them access to your automated garage door opener. Amazon, if you sign up for key, free service, instead of your package being left on the outside when you work all day, the Amazon driver can access your garage, leave your package in the garage, leave and close the garage completely securely for you and automated. This is a shift in distribution strategy. Some people like that. Some people are a little freaked out by it. But <laughs> lots of people like that as the way I want to receive it. I'd like it in my, not sitting out on my front step, or even if I have a online camera, I can watch it being stolen. No, right. I put it right? down, put it I down. Want, yeah, here's who stole it. Can anybody know this? I had two of those today. Two of them. Does anybody know who this is? Because they stole something from my, my front step. But rather than that, I'd rather have key. I'd rather have it securely in my garage. I mean, we could talk about everyday things where distribution strategy makes all the difference in the world. You know me well, right? So you know mm -hmm. I'm a foodie, right? I'm yeah. passionate about food. I cook. Obviously, look at me. I'm a foodie, <laughs> right? I love everything about food. I cannot envision ever do grocery shopping without me physically seeing the goods I'm buying. I could not envision that. I want to, I, nobody's picking bananas for my family. I'm picking bananas. I want to see the veg, the produce. I want to see the fruit. I want to look at the meat offerings or whatever it is I'm buying. I got to see it, touch it, sometimes smell it, uh, right? There are other people who don't really care about that. They like sitting at a keyboard and saying, give me this, give me this, give me this. Somebody else pick it out, bring it to my house. Other people want a meal program. Just send me a box with what I need for dinner tonight. Send me another one tomorrow. Give me directions. I'll prepare a meal. So, again, the synergy of the framework. Buyer persona, user persona. You have to have them nailed in order to get an effective distribution strategy. And when those personas change, your distribution strategy might have, might have to be adjusted or addressed as new populations. Distribution strategy, it's fun stuff. Well, and it, it, you know, it opens up so many doors, like you talked about with, with Netflix, there's partnership opportunities. There's, you know, even if they're getting the product in the same way, would they rather get it somewhere else or with something else or, or, or how are we distributing our support materials? I think that's another big one, right? Like it used to be, you know, you called in and if they had good call, great. And, and now lots of people never, ever want to pick up the phone. And so how are we delivering and distributing the, the kind of support and service and, absolutely. Um, materials is I think another way to really think about how our users are using our products. Let me tell you why this is also a timely conversation for us. Um, I'm sure most of us know that once that, that as the world's changed and as we're changing, companies now find it an imperative to develop almost a completely new function we never had. Customer experience, mm -hmm. customer success, I mean, there was a time when if you were in a, a business, the only thing you really cared about was making a sale. 
let's be honest with each other. We cared about making the sale, getting the money, make our profit revenue. As we move to newer models, reten revenue renewal models, retention models, mm. we all know that we run a better business now keeping customers. It's not about making the sale. It's about keeping the customer. One of the things to keep a customer is to deliver that stellar experience. Mm -hmm. How do customers experience our products? They experience them and how they buy them, how they receive them, and how they use them. Mm -hmm. And if we get that wrong, guess what? You're not getting renewals. You're not getting, you're not, no one's going to subscribe. Nobody's going to, it's not going to happen if you don't understand what's going to fit that audience. So I would say to you that while an underserved activity on our framework, if I was predicting the future, it's one of those activities that's going to become more and more and more important in order to deliver that customer experience that enables us to ultimately renew customers, keep them over time, realize their lifetime value to us, get it profitable because they've renewed for the second and third year and we've recouped our costs of acquiring them and now we're we're going to make some money from them. you've you've done one of you you've done a rich to me you've like blown my mind i've never actually thought about distribution strategy being fairly easy to equate to customer experience right uh because it it really is right i mean just we used to think about that differently but but to that point you're right. I mean, of all of the, the framework activities then that's been elevated and is particularly important as we move to SaaS and that we've talked more and more and we talk about, you know, CX managers and CX metrics and KPIs, it really is about how do they want to use it? How are we getting them to use it? And it's all tied in. I just never like, never put those together. Right. Yeah. It's, it's the touch point. <laughs> yep. It's the touch point. And, it, and not only that, it's one of the initial touch points. We yep. used to be really worried about sales, right? Give them a good impression, sell them. Well, we moved to a world now where people are looking, especially in SaaS models, and you know, they're looking at the offering on their own. They're doing their own research. They're not engaging necessarily with a salesperson. We're using our websites, and we're using uh, our understanding that customer journey to, to make it as pleasant, and but Think about those points. It's the distribution strategy is the first thing that they're exposed to. I mean, when you think about freemium models and how many software have that, right? They've gone through this whole experience before you've even asked them if they want to pay for it, right? Mm -hmm. Or engage with the sales. Yeah, I mean, it's critical. And making a mistake can kill you. Yeah. Right? You, you know, you only get one chance to make a first impression. And when you make it difficult to buy, when you make it difficult to acquire, when you make it difficult to use and you don't understand what's going to make it difficult or easy for your audience, Apple Store, hmm. right? The Apple Store blew our minds, blew everybody's mind. What kind of store is this, right? Completely different experience, completely yeah. different way to buy your product, receive your product. Then there were the aspects of it of the hybrid model. Buy online, return brick and mortar, service brick and mortar. All of these are aspects of distribution strategy. That's where we determine these things. Let them buy it online. Let them return it at a store. Uh, Amazon. Amazon uses certain retailers for mm -hmm. return. UPS for retail uh, for for returns. So there are these partnerships. 
There are these supply chain issues. There's this multi-mixed mode hybrid kind of model. Um, there are some retailers, for instance, who have had a difficult time staying in a brick and mortar business. So what do they decide to do? Can we, can we offer our retail offering inside another retail? Mm -hmm. Right, mm -hmm. we see it all the time. So we'll see, a, you know, Boston Market in a supermarket yep. offering that kind of product or, or other kinds of services offered in that way. Um, I, I'm a, I happen to be a customer of one of the large warehouse. Mine happens to be Costco. But I walk into Costco and there's this whole parade of vendors who are offering me as a Costco customer a different way to buy, receive, and use their product. Mm -hmm. It's part of that distribution strategy. So it's tied to personas. It's tied to user experience. It's tied to um, buy, build, partner. It's tied to programs. All of those things. So it really made me a little bit more important than the attention we give it. Yeah. And I, I think <laughs> some of those models, too, are really good when you're thinking about it. Know your buyers. Know your users know how they like to buy in general, right? Because that, that even if you think, well, that's unrelated, that's how they like to buy X, Y, or Z, not this. Hmm. Are you making some assumptions there? Are there ways that you can model it out there that I think um, are really, really interesting? That data piece, I mean, we have access to so much. Data. So much. <laughs> think about something like buying a car, right? Everybody hated buying a car. Well, a lot of people hate it the experience of buying a car the way it was done. So General Motors, long time ago, decided they would launch a, a division called Saturn, no longer around. Mm -hmm. But one of the differentiators of Saturn, same car, right? They built a car just like other cars General Motors built. The distribution strategy was different. There was a sticker price. There was no haggling. There was no pressure sales. You came in. You paid that price that was on the window. You knew you were getting the same deal everybody else was getting. And they tried to price it aggressively so that it was a good buy for the car. Now, from my reading of Saturn, I wasn't in the room, but in reading a lot about that model, General Motors were specifically targeting people and they marketed to these people mm. who did not enjoy the experience of buying a car. Um, young women, young men who felt they had to bring somebody older, they had to bring somebody more experienced, or they were going to get beat up, they weren't going to get the right price. And they said, no, come on into Saturn, you're all protected. Now, it wasn't very successful. I'm not sure the market was quite ready for that. And other questions had to be answered because it was still an interpersonal relationship with a salesperson. But Carvana? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, buying a car today. Who, who buys a car today? Who would put up with buying a car today simply based on technology? The information that's available to us, the sourcing of the good. I have a friend who buys an automobile. They go online. They know exactly, they look at the specs of the car. They know exactly what they want, exactly what package. And they simply start contacting dealers all over the country. Here's the car I want. Here's the package I want. Give me your best number. You give it to me. That's what I'll buy. So it, it seeped its way in mm. to the customer being in control of buying, not us just selling. Yep. And if they're going to be in control of buying and the customer's driving 
the bus, we better understand how they want to drive the bus, how fast they want to go, what roads they want to take. Is it more important for scenery or to get there fast? We have to answer those questions before we're going to be successful in a marketplace that's crowded with a lot of alternatives. Yeah. Yeah, I, I did. I had a Saturn. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, did I did. I did. I had it for 16 why years. Why, why did you choose Saturn? You know, I think it. I, I had. I had bought a little Miata before that. I'd gone through the whole process. I was very prepared. I did have my dad, but I did all of the talking and all of the preparation, and it just sort of felt like I had to work really hard to get a car at a decent price. And like I, I, I have other responsibilities in my life that do not require me to do this. And so the next time it was uh, it was my husband and I, and we just went in and we're like this, and they were like, okay, that's yeah, it. It was it was very easy, uh, which is what was exactly what we wanted. Distribution strategy is where you make it easy. Yes. You can build the greatest product in the world. Greatest product in the world. If people can't find it, if people can't acquire it, if people don't know how to buy it, if they don't get it in the way they can use it, and they can't use it in the way they want, what's the sense of what you build? Well, I mean, it's crazy when you know exactly what you want for the car. Like you said, the car, the make, the model, the color, and you know what you want and what you're willing to pay for. And it's a fair amount, right? And it still takes you like six hours to buy it. Like, I can't. <laughs> I don't want to be upstart, right? I don't want the package. I don't need leather seats. I don't. So it's about preferences. Yeah. And it's about if we have to understand our buyers and our users to, be, to build a successful product, you certainly have to understand that to have a successful distribution strategy. And a, and a distribution strategy can be disruptive. Uh, Netflix, right? I mean, it could just be, it could disrupt entire industries. Amazon. Yeah. Car dealers. I mean, we could keep going. It I can mean, be Amazon com- changes everything. If I buy anything anywhere online and they're like, I can't have it for two weeks. I'm like, what? <laughs> that's forever. Two weeks. Forget <laughs> it. I'll just get it online. Right. You know, like, DoorDash. Yeah. Right. DoorDash, Uber Eats. It's like, no, I want it for my restaurant. I want it brought to my house. I'll figure out a way to get that done. You feel that every restaurant then who doesn't have to have drivers right? They don't have to have the liability of the drivers and the payroll of drivers, right? It's great distribution for them. Buy, build, partner. Yep. Here we go. Love it. Talk can, can, we, about- can, can we bold the distribution strategy now in the framework? I know. I'm going to like put a little like <laughs> star around it. Halo, like point here. You're not thinking this the same way. I love, I love, I mean, like I said, I think, I, I, I think when, when we really talked about the customer experience and the overlap there, it's just like, oh man, how could you not find that important? But um, okay, so we talked about lots of different things. So if we want our listeners to really start thinking about this and thinking about it differently based on what we talked about, what are sort of like two things you would have them, two places they could start, two steps you'd have them take? First step, work in your organization to shift the focus from cost cutting and efficiency to customer satisfaction mm. and customer experience. Be more externally viewed than the internal drivers. Because when we start talking distribution, it's cost, it's handling, right? Even in, even in soft products, right? It's the cost, mm-hmm. no, it's what's good for us. Yep. What's good for them. The other thing I would say, work with your data team to 
go beyond what seems obvious in customers' preferences. We can ask them what their preferences are, but we have a ton of data that we yeah. can look at what their, their preferences are. We look at where they go, what they use, when they do it. And we can start to say, hmm, if this is really what people are using at this point to do these things, what is a better way of creating that experience for them? Making sure they have it. And certainly, you know, moving from desktop workstations to mobile platforms is in essence a distribution strategy shift. It's a different way to buy, different way to use. That, that happens to be, be used, not to buy. So the two things I would say, use your data to confirm what you're hearing and seeing. Second thing, help move your organization away from the cost of driving distribution strategy to customer experience driving distribution strategy. And maybe it's the customer experience people and the customer success group who we need to get ingrained in distribution strategy development in a partnership with product and sales and marketing and customer experience. They're the two things I would say. Great advice from a great instructor, Rich. Thank you very, very much for joining us today. Rebecca, you know, I could just talk to you forever. And I could listen. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. Uh, don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career. <laughs>